Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you If there's one thing for certain, it's that we can expect tribulation and hardship when we're serving Jesus Christ. The question is, will we cower in the face of it, or will we step forth in the boldness of Christ? Join us now as we continue our journey through Acts chapter 14 with Cheryl Broderson. of Cheryl's message, Holy Boldness. Safety would be like, okay, go ahead and worship me. Then I'll tell you about Jesus. Once you think I'm really tough and, you know, I'm scary and you've got some reverence for me. But no, Paul and Barnabas will not let this city think that they are any more than what they are. In fact, we're told that Paul and Barnabas begin to tear their clothes, run in the midst of the multitude, saying, we are men with like natures, same as you. And we are preaching to you that these things, these sacrifices to Zeus and Hermes are the very vain things that you need to turn away from and serve the living God who made heaven and earth and all things that are in them. We've got a greater reality that we want to bring you into. They refuse to let the crowd, worship them, though it would have set them apart, might have even protected them. And then when Jews from Antioch and Iconium arrived, these Jews that followed Paul and Barnabas because they hated the message, they hated the fact that Gentiles were being saved and their lives transformed, they came to Lystra and they were able to persuade the multitude against Paul a fickle multitude, one moment willing to worship them because of the greatness of the miracle, and the next wanting to kill them, wanting to drive them out. I believe this was fear-based. I believe that fear can be absolutely dangerous. I'm going to tell you something about me. When it comes to bugs, I'm an overkiller. It's not good enough just to smash the spider. I have to make sure that he cannot live again that he is torn limb from limb and he will not scare any other human being ever, 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 ever. You know, my boys, they also had the overkill instinct, but you know what they used to do? They used to like to kill bugs and leave them there, you know, on the walls. And I said, you boys, you need to clean up afterwards. <laughs> Remember Brain saying to me, mom, that's for the other bugs. I want them to see what happened to their friend and just stay out of here. You know, fear can make us like, you know, we can't just hit the spider and flush him away. No, no, we have to like, you know, squish, death, dismemberment. 
You know, we want all this. We want to make sure that that thing cannot harm us, cannot bring any harm to us. That there's not a chance in the world that that thing will come back and go, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Yeah, we don't know. It's over forever for this one. It's gone. And that's what fear does. Fear wants to just destroy, to get something completely gone. Fear's not content to imprison or to put aside or to ignore, fear has to destroy any opponents. And this is what I think we're seeing. This is fear. And it's fear juxtaposed against the holy boldness of Paul and Barnabas. And fear takes up stones and wants to not only stone Paul, not only destroy Paul, but then they drag him out of the city. They don't even want him in the city. They want to get rid of him. But as the scripture tells us, that the disciples surrounded Paul. There they are. They're surrounding Paul outside the city. He, he has been out of their reach, so to speak. They haven't been able to protect him or insulate him. The crowd has gotten to them. They've stoned him. Now they've dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. And now the disciples surround him. And what happens to Paul? He jumps up. Hey guys, that was kind of cool. You ought to try it. Man, you wouldn't believe the things I saw and heard while I was down there on the ground. Whoa. No, I don't think... uh, I can't tell you. You got to wait till you get to heaven. And uh, yeah, now I kind of got this angel to buffet me because uh, the revelation is so glorious of what happened. You see a man like that, that you stone and you put him down and what happens? He has a revelation of heaven. He sees glory. That man is only emboldened, only emboldened. So this is the worst that fear can do. This is the absolute worst. You stone me, you kill me, and the worst thing that happens is I get heaven. I get absolute glory. Jesus said, do not fear them that can kill the body, and then they've lost all their power. That's it. That's the last stand of men. They can do no more after that. He said, but fear him who has the power to constrain your soul to heaven or hell. But then he says, but you know what? When you're fearing God, all of a sudden you're not fearing anyone. That's holy boldness. Because you recognize that God has counted the very hairs on your head. That it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of heaven, to give you all you need while you are on earth, and then to take you into glory. No wonder Paul could say, for me to live, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I'm in a win-win situation. So when Paul rises up, what does he do? He goes right back into the very city that stoned him. Can you imagine those people? It's like that spider rising again. You know, ah, he's back. How could that be? We, we stoned this guy. We dragged him out of the city. And now here he is right back into the city, strengthening, strengthening the disciples there. He goes on after that to Derby with Barnabas, undeterred by the stoning, undeterred by the angry Jews following them from place to place. 
and they make many disciples there also in Derby. Talk about boldness. Now, when you know that whoever gets saved is going to have to go through such tribulation, sometimes you think, oh, you know, if, if this Muslim accepts Jesus, their whole family is going to turn against them. If this Jew accepts Jesus, their whole family is going to turn against them. I remember when Debbie Kerner, um, she was also Charity Church Mouse later, when she accepted the Lord, her family had a funeral for her, her Jewish family. And they said, you are dead to us. You know, she thought that was really ironic because when she was young, they sent her to a convent for school. This Jewish girl in a convent for her schooling. And yet when she really came to know Jesus Christ, they had a funeral saying, "Mm -mm, you're dead to us. And sometimes we're, we're tempted to draw back from holy boldness because of the price that those that we are giving the gospel to will have to pay for the gospel. This was the dilemma that Lilius Trotter had in the late 1800s. She was a missionary to Tangiers a Muslim country. She had gone there with some friends and every person that they led to Jesus Christ was murdered. Can you imagine that? Every single person, they were either poisoned or um, knifed or mugged, but in some way they were killed because of the gospel. And at one point she really went to the, uh, had a dilemma about that. And she went to the Lord and she said, Lord, is it right And she said, the Lord spoke to her heart and said, oh, Lilius, if you could see them glorified in my presence, they would have suffered anyway. They would have suffered. And they were under the oppression of the enemy and of their family. And I freed them on earth. And then I freed them to come right to glory with me. It was an emancipation, not a murder. And she received holy boldness to proclaim even more powerfully, the news of Jesus Christ. She wrote these incredible um, parables called the parable of the sower, the parable of the seed. Um, They're these beautifully illustrated books and the Muslim culture embraced them and loved them because of the parable form in which she wrote. And many, many came to know Jesus Christ. But again, when you know that somebody is going to suffer because of their adherence to Jesus Christ, that could make you afraid. That could make you draw back. But not Paul and Barnabas. They knew the power of the gospel. And now Paul knows the glory and reality of heaven, the place that we are all through faith in Jesus Christ destined to. So after Derby, Paul And Barnabas decided to go visit all the churches and all the brethren that were established in all the places they were driven out, all the places they were persecuted. They go back to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch in Pisidia. And there they strengthen the souls of the brethren. And how? What is one of the ways that they strengthen the brethren? We're told that they exhort them. They encourage them. Continue in the faith. Again, Faith is the ticket to all the possibilities. Faith is the ticket to healing, transformation, glory. Faith is the ticket to all the riches that are in Christ Jesus. And faith is the ultimate ticket to heaven and to glory where there is no sorrow and no pain. 
but just inexpressible joy and glory forevermore. It is. It is through faith. So they strengthen the souls of the brethren to continue in faith. And they tell them, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. In other words, this is par for the course. This is what you can expect. But look at us. We have made it through. We have triumphed. June Hesterly was um, one time telling this, this story She and her husband decided to accompany this man named Keith Ritter um, up into the hills of China to visit these Lisu people, which lived very primitively. They lived in huts. Now, if you know June Hester Lee, she is a germaphobic. She's a woman who vacuums her house every night because she likes to see it all in nice rows. And she said to herself, okay, I can do this. Because Sue, Keith's wife, has done it, and she's more of a germaphobic than I am. And if Sue can do this, I can do this. So June and Jim have to ride on the back of a truck that is overly crowded with people, you know, standing on these plywood boards as they make this rickety ride up into the hills of China. The roads are so scary, she thinks the man's gonna drive off the side of the cliff. The truck stalls out more than once. The smells are just unbearable. But she keeps saying to herself, Sue did this. Sue did this. I can do it too. She gets up. For one week, she has to find a place where you dig a hole and find this place. Privacy is almost impossible because even the floorboards have holes in between. There are bats in the rafter. There's all sorts of little vermin running around every place. And the way you take your shower is just this this kind of this stall that you pour water over yourself every morning. And it's cold. But she keeps saying, look, it's only a week and Sue has done this. So when the week is done, June is so relieved and they take this rickety truck back. And the next day she runs into Sue and she said, Sue, I just want you to know you're my inspiration. And Sue said, how is that? She said, well, while I was sleeping with that vermin on those floorboards, while I was taking that shower, as I was having to make my way into the jungle to do elimination, as I was around those people with the lice in their hair and all the, the smells. I kept thinking, Sue can do this. I can do this. And Sue said, June, I can't do it. I've never done it. When Keith goes up there, I stay in a hotel right down the mountain. <laughs> but you know, Paul and Barnabas were saying, we can do it. We have done it. You can do it too. Again, we're men with like natures. We have done it. You can do it. This is par for the course. But you know, let me say this. Tribulation and hardship are par for earth. No wonder Jesus, David said, thy loving kindness is better than life. Would you agree with me that life is hard? Life is hard for everybody, regardless of where you live. Life is hard and presents us with difficulties. Wherever there are taxes, life is hard. Wherever there is a Gestapo or an IRS, life is going to be difficult. 
I hate this time of year. I want to look forward to the new year, but all I can think is, I have to try to organize my taxes. I don't even do my taxes. I send them to my friend. But I still, oh, never mind. Moving on. Life is hard. And there's hardships in life. But you see, when you know Jesus, we have three advantages. One is we have the advantage that Jesus is with us in every hardship. That's our advantage over people who go through hardship. We have Jesus. We have an advocate. We have a friend walking beside us. Secondly, we have purpose. We're going to get something out of this trial. We're going to get something on earth, a revelation, strength, character, knowledge. Something is going to happen. We're going to help others. We're going to have purpose in this, and we're going to have a heavenly reward. There's a multitude of purposes that God will make our suffering count. He will always make it count. And finally, God will deliver us. He will always, always deliver us. So then they, they prayed, they appointed elders in every city, those who would lead and stand steadfast. They were looking for men who could stand up to the persecution, men who could endure, men of character, Next, they prayed with fasting for these churches and for these men, transferring that apostolic authority. And they commended these men to the Lord in whom they had believed. They put them in the safekeeping of the Lord. Oh, when you're afraid for somebody, it's the best thing to put them in the safekeeping of the Lord. Jesus said, nothing can remove anyone from my grasp, from my hold. I loved putting my children, and I still do, into the hands of the Lord. I have a son and daughter that live in New York with grandchildren. I have another son who lives in Santa Rosa. And I have a daughter. My son-in-law just got um, bitten by a black widow. You know, I mean, what do you do? I, you know, you can, you can easily pry my grasp, but you can't get away from the grasp of Jesus Christ. God protects when we cannot protect. God works when we cannot work. There's so many things that we can't see, but God sees and he's always at work. You know, I don't know why I think I'm so responsible for everybody because nothing I do ever works. I can't even heal myself of the flu or a cold. I have done the oregano oil in the water, the zinc with the vitamin C, the chicken soup till it's coming out my ears, the grape juice. And then Brian's been buying me this fresh ginger pineapple stuff that's, oh, it makes, it makes smoke come out your ears. It's horrid. I can't, I can't even heal myself. I can't even drive germs out of my body. I can't fend off germs, even though I'm washing my hands, even though I'm doing all these precautions. I don't have I can't. And yet I think I'm going to hold somebody. As long as I'm there, you're totally safe. No way. I've got to commend you to him who is able to keep you from falling and make you stand faultless before his throne with glory. Only Jesus Christ can do that. So Paul knowingly and Barnabas, they commended them to the grace of the Lord. And then, and only then, did they return to Antioch in Syria. Now, we'd like to think that Paul and Barnabas 
boldness was legendary, that these were more than mere men. No, we're talking Paul. We're talking Barnabas. But as somebody was saying in leaders meeting today, Paul said of himself to the Corinthians, I know that I was weak and trembling around you. And you thought, this little weakling is going to tell us about the gospel? These were men, as they said, with natures like other men. They were men who were weak. They were men who absolutely needed Jesus. They were just like the men in Lystra, no better. As John Bunyan once wrote, there but for the grace of God go I. They would have been worshiping those vain things. They would have been running with garlands and oxen. Were it not, were it not for Jesus Christ. So what was the secret of their holy boldness? Well, their secret can be our secret. Their source of boldness can be our source of boldness because there are three things that we see in this chapter. The Paul and Barnabas advantage, so to speak. And one is that they knew their God. Two is that they were under the authority of Jesus Christ. And three was that they were commended to the grace of God. I was at a wedding and I was sitting next to a friend of mine and I was talking to her about the power of a faith in the Christian life and just how I had been experiencing that and what I had been seeing God do. And she looked at me and she had tears in her eyes. And this was one of the most extraordinary godly women I knew. I absolutely adore this woman. God has used her with the gift of hospitality. And she is just one of those saints in the church. And she looked at me and she said, Cheryl, I need more boldness. I just lately have just been racked with fears. And, and tears came into her eyes. And, and she looked at me in desperation. And I looked at her and I said, oh, Mary... It's so simple. You just need to know Jesus better. You don't have to drum up faith. You don't have to condemn or or flagellate yourself for not having enough faith. There's no reason to be condemned here. You can't go out there and just start pumping iron to get more faith. The secret is to know your God. In Daniel, it said that the people who knew their God carried out great exploits in his name. The secret is knowing their God. It's to know the character of our God, to know that he is caring and compassionate and concerned. You see, we don't serve a God like Zeus or a God like Hermes who get upset, who can't be trusted, who are lustful or greedy or angry or can be upset or must be appeased. That's not our God. We serve the God that we see in the gospels displayed in Jesus Christ. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that in Christ, we see the face of God. In Christ, we see all that God is, all that God does, and his disposition towards us. I was just reading in Matthew chapter 15 this morning, where Jesus absolutely refused to let them multitude go away hungry. The disciples are like, Lord, there's too many of them. Send them away. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. We're going to make this happen. I am not going to let those people go away and faint on the road. I am here for them. 
We serve a God that is compassionate and cares about the multitude, but we serve a God that he didn't berate the disciples. What are you guys thinking, sending the multitude away? You know, here I call you guys. I'm with you guys. I've shown you miracles. And I have to send him away, send him away. He's not like that. He's like, guys, just stay with me. Just stay with me. Don't you love that, Christ? Just stay with me. And yet we're like, oh, God, forgive me for not believing in you, Mom. Shame on you, shame on you. You know, we are always, we're women, right? So we beat ourselves up. You know, we have like a wooden spoon in every room just to hit ourselves when we're stupid. This is not our God. Our God, Jesus, is so patient. He's so concerned. He's so loving. We can expect tribulation and hardship when we're serving Jesus. But we can also expect Jesus to be right there with us through every hardship. We can expect that every trial has a purpose and develops in us strength of character. And finally, we can expect whether here on earth or into His heavenly presence, God will deliver us. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Holy Boldness. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will continue her teaching in Acts chapter 14 with part three of her message, Holy Boldness. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.